Welcome to Whip Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer. And we want to welcome you to Season 3 of Whip Beyond Measure. Woo! Yay! We're finally done with Emma and we are moving on to... Northanger Abbey. Perfect for fall. But first... This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Shelley Laurenston, Breaking Badger. So fall is finally here, and you know what my favorite types of stories are to read in fall? Uh, is it fantasy? Yes! You know you read fantasy all year, right? Yeah, I know, but I especially love it in the fall. Okay, well, I actually have the perfect book for you. It's fantasy, it's sexy, it's humorous. Like, it's supposed to be really, really funny, Ooh. which is why it's, like, I can do nothing but describe this as, like, Animorphs <gasps> for adults. Oh, my gosh. I loved Animorphs. Do tell. Okay. So, and again, we have to remember that this is, it's humorous. Okay. Because I'm going to tell you what this book is about, and we might just start laughing, but that's the point. So, it's called Breaking Badger, mm-hmm. and it's the fourth book in Shelley Laurenston's Honey Badger Chronicles. So it's about shapeshifters. Just throwing that out there. Hence the Animorphs. Yes. The story follows Finn Malone. He is a fiercely loyal Siberian tiger shapeshifter, which I mean, come on. If there is like, how could you not have something like sexier than that? (laughs) But it starts off, the book starts off with him saving a group of honey badger shapeshifters who he then gives like refuge to. He lets them live in his house for a little while. But the problem is, is that he has a couple of brothers and these big cat brothers are not fans of these honey badgers. Like they cannot stand them and they kick them out. Problem is they're honey badgers. You don't kick out honey badgers. Mm -mm. Like, come on. Mm -mm. And this is especially problematic because the honey badgers can actually help the Siberian tiger brothers avenge their father's death. Ooh. So Mads, she is one of the honey badger shapeshifters. She is willing to give the Siberian tigers a second chance, probably because they're super sexy, or at least Finn is really super <laughs> sexy. <laughs> But also she's a honey badger and she is like totally all for vengeance because, again, honey badger. Yeah. So she decides to work with Finn. And of course, we have all of this lovely sexual tension Mm. on top of all of the humor Mm. and all of this other really fun stuff that comes with this kind of book. (laughs) So if you really like the like enemies to lovers, quest for revenge kind of thing. This is definitely a book you need to check out and it'll have you swooning, but laughing all at the same time. It just sounds brilliant. You can find Breaking Badger by Shelley Lornston wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. We have another book to add to our reading list. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about Northanger Abbey and kind of switch to a more serious tone <laughs> uh wait is Northanger abbey more serious because i was laughing throughout these first four chapters <laughs> <laughs> well so um before we get into uh our recap and stuff i kind of wanted to introduce the book a little bit because yes. it isn't as popular as a lot of austin's other novels mm-hmm. um to the point where i actually haven't read it before just throwing that out there don't know if you got that from the trailer uh <laughs> We have finally shifted into the part of the podcast where Katrina knows what the books are about 
and L has no idea. <laughs> but uh, what I do know about this novel is that this is famously Austen's satirical novel. Mm-hmm. She is making a parody of which parody and satire are different, but that's not the point. This book is a parody of the Gothic novel. Yes. And like, that's famously known. But I think what is lesser known is that this book is also a parody on the sentimental novels. So tell me about a sentimental novel, because that term is a little bit new to me. Like, obviously, I know what those words mean, but I don't know what Mm -hmm. they mean together. So a sentimental novel is essentially a novel where the author is trying to get you to really feel things. Okay. And a lot of that is like weighed over plot. Mm -hmm. So you'll have more feelings than you have plots. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Yes. So I think one of the examples that I read said something like one of the first sentimental novels like spent so much time just trying to get you to feel really, really upset about the idea of killing a fly. (laughs) And I'm just like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) But um, (laughs) one of the, the best ways to kind of describe what these books were trying to get you to feel is actually from a, a christmas carol okay which dickens is not a sentimental writer just throwing that out there yeah no he's like on a whole <laughs> other level of writing yeah. <laughs> he like uh, will take three pages to describe a chair but somebody dies horrifically in one sentence yeah they fall yeah. into a hole and die and then you have to like reread it six times you're and like, be like wait, wait a what? second he are d- they dead, dead? <laughs> yeah like he fell in a muddy hole i don't understand but anyway that's not the point uh, there's a part in the Christmas Carol that really sums up what the sentimental novels are trying to do. And that is surrounding the death of Tiny Tim. Mm-hmm. So like, when you are told that Tiny Tim dies, you feel that emotion, that sorrow and everything. But then almost immediately, you feel the relief at knowing that he's not actually dead. Because okay. that didn't actually happen yet, because that happened in the future. So those are the kind of emotions and that swift change in emotions and just the immense feeling readers are supposed to have. That's what the sentimental novels were trying to do. Okay. But again, unlike Christmas Carol, <laughs> these books sometimes didn't really focus a lot on plot. <laughs> right. So, and I feel like Austin is trying to do this, obviously, tongue in cheek in a way at the beginning of this novel specifically because the first half is making fun of the sentimental novel whereas the second half is making fun of the gothic novel right so okay now and i think one of the reasons or one of the ways austin is able to really do this the parody in this novel is the other thing that i noticed about northanger abbey is that the narrator is written really differently yes than any of her other books Mm -hmm. like Normally, it's just kind of like a third person, omnipresent narrator who's yeah. just like, like, Emma did this, Emma did that. You but know, you also stuff like get that. like little insights into that main character too, right? Mm-hmm. We get a little bit of Lizzie Bennet and her thoughts mm-hmm. in Pride and Prejudice, a little bit of Emma and her thoughts in Emma, right? Yeah. And then even as that shifts, um, because in like Pride and Prejudice and Emma, we get other characters' points of views yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just focusing on one thing. Northanger Abbey and actually this really startled me when I first started listening I'm like wait a second is this the right book (laughs) is that the narrator is almost like Austin telling us the story yeah like our heroine or she is a heroine she is doing this like I should tell the reader this and stuff like that and I thought that that was really interesting Mm -hmm. 
Now, I believe there's a reason why this book sounds a lot different. There is. Um, It actually has to do with when it was written. Um, Okay. So this book was actually finished in the year 1803. And as we know, okay. Austin died in 1817. So this book was mm-hmm. finished very early on. And it wasn't published, though, until I believe it was after her death or right around that mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I think this one and Persuasion were the ones that were published after her death. Yep. That's one of the reasons why it has such a different, I don't know, I like the word flavor, but a different style to it than mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice and Mansfield Park and Emma and Sense and Sensibility, because this is one of her earlier novels. It's essentially her first, you could almost say. Yeah, this was the first novel she completed, but she didn't publish it. So this was the first one she wrote the end and then literally stuck it in a drawer and nobody noticed it. Exactly. Yeah. It was like some 13 or so years after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. So she did make a, no- a note um, when this book was being advertised that, you know, readers need to keep in mind that since this book was begun, many years have passed. And so like a lot of the places, a lot of the mannerisms, a lot of like the opinions might be vastly different. So it's really mm-hmm. important, even for readers at that time, to keep mm-hmm. that in the back of our minds. So when we're comparing this to maybe other works, if we end up doing that, we also have to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, 1803 to, let's even just say 1813, mm-hmm. like that's 10 years. A lot can change in 10 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, think back 2011, what were things that have changed just now, you know, like yeah. so many things. Yep. Like there are words you don't say anymore. There are ideas that have been questioned. There's new knowledge that we have. Yep. So, yeah. And then the third thing that we know about Northanger Abbey is that apparently, and again, I haven't read it, so I don't know for certain. Henry Tilney is one of Austin's greatest heroes, but he is wholly unappreciated by the public eye because he isn't Darcy or Knightley. Because again, this book isn't read nearly as much. Yes. But apparently he's great. I don't really know why. <laughs> um. So thinking back to like when I first read this, which was a long time ago. In fact, for me, it was about 10 years ago. A lot <laughs> has changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, reading this. And then right after I read it, I read a modern version of it, which is a little bit different. So sometimes I kind of cross wires with that modern version. It's similar enough that it follows all the beats, but it's just like little minute things are changed i'm like wait did that happen in original northern <laughs> so i might confuse some things but yeah i remember tilney at first not trusting him and like okay really not liking him because again it's kind of like that parody but as it goes on you're like oh this dude's pretty great um, and I don't know if it was just like my preconceived notions, like this guy isn't a Darcy. And so I am kind of weirded out by him and I don't want to trust him. But no, it's not the case. He He's legit. Okay. He's legit, in okay. my opinion. In the chapters we read today, we meet Tilney and I actually, I liked him. Yeah. Now, granted, we didn't meet him until toward the end of the chapters that we read today. So uh, and we really just had like the one interaction with him. But I was just like, oh, he's kind of funny. Okay. Like he's trying to be funny. Yeah. How cute. Yeah. No, Austin, Austin uh, heroes never try to be funny. What the hell is this? This is adorable. Right. <laughs> and for me, because I think I had 
come off of reading Mansfield Park and then I went into Northanger Abbey at the time, I was still kind of had some PTSD from Henry Crawford, who Mm. is like very charming and charismatic, but he's a bad guy. And so like, I kind of made those two like synonymous in my head, like we're meeting him first, we're meeting him pretty early on, he seems great. When is the ball going to drop on him? Um, Is it because his name is also Henry? Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. I I don't I know nothing of this person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm interested to see then how you think of him throughout then. Okay. Well, so now that we have set up this book, because again, it isn't as popular. So I don't know how many of you guys have actually read it. Um, Let's get into what we actually read today. So Katrina, please go ahead. You are up for our super duper quick recap. All right, so our super duper quick recap, we read chapters one through four, and here is what happens. One, we meet our heroine, Catherine Moreland. Yes, she is our heroine. Is she our heroine? She is our heroine because the narrator tells us so. (laughs) Two, (laughs) she is going on holiday to Bath with the Allens, Um, Mr. and Mrs. Allen, who are a bit older, they're going there to treat Mr. Allen's gout. Um, Catherine is the oldest daughter in her family. She's about 17 years of age. They live in kind of a small area. Nothing cool is going to happen to her. So they take her, boom, come with us to Bath. Let's make things happen for you. Three, they get to Bath. They go to this place and it's basically like a late night bar. You can't move. There's people everywhere. Your clothes are going to probably get ruined, but luckily Mrs. Allen is super careful and they don't. Then four, we meet Henry Tilney, our hero. And we also meet a friend of Mrs. Allen who has three daughters, the oldest of which begins to befriend Catherine. And that is our super duper quick recap. Yeah. So let's start off at the beginning. Yes. I believe... The beginning of this book opens with no one who had ever seen Catherine Moreland in her infancy would have supposed her born to be a heroine. But then the narrator goes on to say, oh, no, she's our heroine. Don't worry. But here's why she doesn't seem to be the type of person who would be a heroine. And this is definitely, definitely a a commentary on like the sentimental romance heroines because Mm -hmm. there's always something about them that makes them very much a heroine like they're poor they're absolutely beautiful and you know they're like in a situation where they shouldn't be or you know that where somebody has to take pity on them and like stuff like that and austin is setting this up to be like oh no Catherine isn't any of these things (laughs) she is as normal as humanly possible yes (laughs) she has older brothers she has younger sisters she has both of her parents. <laughs> they make an okay living. Mm-hmm. They live in a small town. Nothing terrible has happened to them at all. Nothing exciting. Catherine is very average in mm-hmm. terms of like her academics, in terms of her skills, in terms of her looks, which is repeated throughout. Um, she is very tomboyish. Um, mm-hmm. She kind of runs around with her brother. She prefers to be like riding or like, pulling up flowers that she's not allowed to be pulling up or like doing activities that would not be considered young girl activities of the time. 
I believe one specific activity that Austin mentioned was rolling down the hill in the back of the house. Yes, which I love. (laughs) I love that detail. Um, But then she blossoms by the time she hits about age 15. Mm -hmm. She starts to kind of like become a little bit more prettier, quote unquote. Um, Like her face fills in, her figure kind of tightens up a little bit. She just grows into herself, essentially. She hits puberty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, around that age, she starts to, like, stop rolling around in the mud a little bit and more kind of start looking into, is it reading that she's really into? She does read a bit, yeah. But, like, she sucks at drawing. I just remember Austin mentioning that over and over again. Like, she sucks. <laughs> and she could have been a good musician, but she wasn't really interested in it. And so she was very happy when the music teacher was finally dismissed. Is this Lady Catherine? Um, actually, this might be me, guys. I know I say that every <laughs> time, but, like, I was a little girl who was digging up worms and cutting them in half and, like, rolling around in the grass. No, I mean... <laughs> I mean... That was me, too. And the fact that, like, she's extremely average at literally everything. I'm just like, oh, cool. I can relate to this. Yeah. I feel like it's a very generalized character that anybody could relate to, even readers mm-hmm. of the time. And I think Austin Wright wrote her that way on purpose. And I wonder if maybe yeah. she, Austin might have saw a little, little of herself, especially in her early years as Catherine Moreland. Well, so that's actually a thing. Um, because... There is a lot, because again, guys, I have the annotated copy. Uh, <laughs> the The introduction of the annotated copy actually talks a lot about how there are a lot of similarities between Austin and Catherine. Uh, like the familial situation, okay. going to bath, like that whole thing. So maybe so, she was yeah. writing the opposite of what she was to explore that kind of character? No, I think there's a lot of similarities between Catherine and Austin. Oh, okay. Sorry, saying. I misunderstood yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. I, I don't know exactly like where it changes or anything because I didn't want to spoil it too much for me. So I could only mm-hmm. read parts of the introduction. Right, right. But yeah, so we'll kind of see that a little bit more. Yeah. I think like I, I, I need to read more about Austin's life. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that is one of the things that's interesting about this compared to like a sentimental novel is because yeah, like. Catherine Moreland could literally be anybody, mm-hmm. whereas like a heroine in like essentially almost any other novel isn't like everybody else. Like there's something about her that's like different. And that's even the case nowadays. Yeah. Like think of any any heroine like Katniss. Yep. Like she's there's something about her that's different. Yeah. Hermione Granger. There's something special about her. Right. She's really super smart. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you could take almost any like YA post-apocalyptic and like, you know, there's magic involved. Like this mm-hmm. this particular female. I'm thinking of the Red Queen series mm. yep. where she's like, she can do magic, but she is part yeah. of the class that traditionally is unable to do magic. So, yeah, there's something different. Or Shadow and Bone. Yeah. Like, what makes her different is that she is the light bringer or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. But not our Catherine. Catherine, (laughs) Catherine's normal. She's just whatever. She's every woman, basically. Yeah. She's every woman. So what that means is, is that we can all be heroines. Yeah! Catherine Moreland can, we can all be heroines. We can can find... (laughs) The perfect man in his big house 
and assume his father. Nope, just kidding. I'm not going to spoil it, guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Katrina's not going to spoil a book? What? Why? I didn't know there was a father. <laughs> okay, let's let's keep talking. So we know, we've established Catherine. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the Allens yes. a little bit. Mrs. Allen really loves fashion. And she likes being able to get her fashion on the cheap. Yep. If she can. She's a bargain shopper and I feel that. Yeah. But what I found really interesting was that she was so obsessed with her fashion that she's actually, I feel like she gave more attention to the fact that she didn't want her dress to get ruined at the bar, whatever it's called. <laughs> As an assembly. So it was a very large, assembly, it was a word. large assembly in Bath, but I likened it to a late night bar because if you've been to a late night bar, you know you can't move and it's loud and it's bonkers. That's basically that. <laughs> I could not remember the word assembly to save my life. Um, anyway, so she spends more time and more energy focusing on not getting her dress ruined at the assembly than she does attending to Catherine and helping Catherine make connections. Yeah, she just all she does <laughs> is say, oh, I wish we knew somebody here over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And over. So because they go to this assembly and Mr. Allen goes off to play cards like immediately. Yeah, because that's that's what men do. Yeah. Of husbands, sorry, specifically husbands. Yeah. Which is interesting because if he's going off to play cards, I would assume that that means he knows people. Mm-hmm. So he could introduce them to people. Yeah. But apparently Mrs. Allen doesn't know anybody in Bath. So they're like, Catherine, come to Bath with us and we'll introduce you to people. And then when they get there, BT dubs, we don't know anybody. Uh <laughs> Which is crazy because there is a line in there where Catherine's looking around. She's like, out of all of these people crammed in here, you don't know a single one. Like, come on. <laughs> well, and then Mrs. Allen is like, oh, I wish this family were here. I wish the Perrys were here because then you could have you could have danced with the young Mr. Perry. Of course, my th- brain that immediately went to, he's a doctor. But, uh, <laughs> that's not, these aren't the origin stories of these other no. characters. And, it's, and, and the, the surname <laughs> is spelled different. Um, in is, Emma, yeah. it's an E. In Northanger Abbey, it's an A. But anyway, uh, Mrs. Allen the whole time is just like, oh, I didn't get my dress dirty. Oh, I didn't get my dress ruined. Oh, I really wish we had a partner for you to dance with. You really should be dancing. I really wish that you had a partner to dance with. I'm so sorry we don't know anybody. And even the book is like, seriously, stop bringing it up. Yeah, stop (laughs) telling her this. And then they find themselves squished at this table um, for tea time, for, for the tea. And there's not even a place setting there because she doesn't know anybody. So they squeeze in Mm -hmm. and they're like, these people are looking at us like this isn't family style <laughs> like no, you need yeah. a connection to sit down but they do it anyway and it's very clear that Catherine is like awkward and like anxious about it yeah it's because her she's the one out. yeah and she's the one that notices like this the people here are just like what the hell are you doing here and then luckily they take pity on them and they offer them tea but yeah Catherine's just like i think we need to move like can we go somewhere else? Can we do something else? Like, I I feel so awkward. Yep. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel you, hun. I feel you. Yep. We've all uh, been in that situation where we are the awkward person, like, tagged uh-huh. on to something. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they spend this whole ball squished, not dancing, not talking to anybody, 
not meeting anybody new. They do have a, uh, Catherine has a very brief and kind of warm conversation with the person who then eventually offers her tea, Mm -hmm. but nothing comes of it. It's not an introduction or anything like that. So eventually they get Mr. Allen who was playing cards the whole time with his buddies, I guess. I don't know. Uh, And then they go home. And he's basically like, don't worry, Catherine, we'll meet somebody next time. (laughs) Which is like typical old man thing to say. (laughs) But also like Catherine, like she's got to be thinking, why the hell did you bring me here? Like at least at home. Yeah, nobody's around at home and I'm not going to make connections and I'm not going to marry anybody at home because home is very boring, which the book flat out says. Uh, but at least I know people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Not gonna sit alone listening to your wife complain about the fact that she doesn't know anybody. <laughs> yes, and specifically, I think it's important to remember that the reason why she isn't gonna marry anybody at home is because there is no one. The book tells us there are not really a lot of families around them, and specifically, not a lot of families with young men her age. Mm -hmm. Which sucks for her sisters. It does suck for her (laughs) sisters. They are going to have to, the Allens will just have to take pity upon them as they come of age, I guess. Well, it's not going to really help much because the Allens don't know anybody. That's true. (laughs) Maybe Catherine can help. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens to our heroine going forward. Um, but that's not all that happens. So after that first night there, which is kind of a bust, um, mm-hmm. they spend their days kind of shopping and checking out different areas of Bath. They go to the theater. Um, they go to the upper rooms. They have a concert. They go to a concert, all of that stuff. And then they make an appearance toward the end of the week in what is called the lower rooms. And this is where our young heroine finally has something exciting happen to her. Mm-hmm. She meets Mr. Tilney in the lower rooms. I believe in the lower rooms when she comes in, the there's somebody there mm-hmm. who then like matches up young men and women together so they have like somebody to dance with. Yeah. So she doesn't need she doesn't need to have the Allens introduce her to somebody because this guy, it's his job to be like, oh, hey, young man, here's a young woman. I'm introducing you, even though I don't really know who you people are. Shoot, go dance. Yeah. And that's essentially what happens. Yeah. She's paired with Mr. Henry Tilney. It's like um, adventure dating or whatever. It's like when you're like a young 20 something and you're in a new place and you join a group and you meet like minded young people and you go on adventures. It's kind of like the Regency version of that. Or actually, it could be a little bit like speed dating. That too. (laughs) That too. Which is still extremely slow back then. Yes. (laughs) One at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they go dancing, Mm -hmm. um, which is great because Catherine finally gets to dance. Yeah. And they have this like wonderful little conversation. Mm -hmm. It's really cute. And he, she can, she counts herself pretty lucky because like he's described as like tall and smart and like. Very gentlemanly, very, you know, chatty, interested in her, very charming. Mm -hmm. So she feels pretty lucky. It's like things are going really great all of a sudden. And you're like, Mm -hmm. when is the bad thing going to (laughs) happen? At least for me, that's how I felt. But Well, so correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I read it. So like when they're having this conversation while they're dancing, is he like putting on like a face kind of a thing? So like he's just like, oh, hey, I'm this person. And then he's like, oh, I guess I should be. I should be asking you, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? 
uh, did you go to, did you see a concert? And she's just like laughing because it just seems so ridiculous. Cause then he's just like, it's like, I should be this nice proper gentleman. Ha ha ha. And then he's just like, yeah, okay. But no, this is how I really am yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. So okay. I took that to be like, when you first meet, cause they are just first meeting each other. They don't mm-hmm. know each other from anyone else at this point. And mm-hmm. it is very awkward when you meet someone brand new and you don't have that formal introduction where you can discuss mm-hmm family connections and friendship connections they don't have that and so i think that humor maybe is his like defense mechanism right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's adorable it's and really like, cute she laughs she's having a great time she thinks it's adorable and he's he's really going into it too and it's just it's probably one of the best like first meetings of two people that we've seen in a while yeah so yeah i love when he's like telling her like oh here's what you're gonna write about me in your journal Mm -hmm. but here's what I want you to write about me and it's just (laughs) it's so wonderful yeah yeah because uh he's like you're probably just gonna write about like oh I wore this beautiful dress and I met this guy but this is what I want you to write I met this this like what is it like a mysterious man or something like that so he says this is what you ought to say in your journal I danced with a very agreeable young man, introduced by Mr. King. Had a great deal of conversation with him. Seems a most extraordinary genius. Hope I may know more of him. That, madam, is what I wish you to write or wish you to say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he talks about how women are better at writing letters because they write in journals. And I'm like, that's that's a legit thought there, Mr. Tilney. However... Because it's true. (laughs) He does criticize them about, like, their grammar and things like that. But so his point is, like, women's letters are superior because the contents are more interesting. Mm -hmm. If not the how they look and whatever is not always accurate. Which, of course, I don't know if that's true. I feel like he's just being silly again or he's trying to, like, say something so off par to, like, get her to, like fight back and maybe argue because mm-hmm. he kind of is like "Ooh, let's see if i can get her fired up for something um, uh-huh so yeah yeah no. i'm really liking mr Tilly. so <laughs> um but so they have a great time he knows about muslim he does this isn't he yeah he knows he he is uh he apparently goes shopping for his sister. he does and he also picks out his own cravats and mm-hmm. um he he has a job, I believe that I want to say he has a job with that. Um, oh, he's a clergyman. Oh, that's right, he is a clergyman. So yeah, so it's because he does he he purchases his own cravats and he's a good judge. And yeah, he his sister has like let him pick out gowns for her. So like muslins is like his hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is great. He likes fabrics. Yeah. It's fine. It's totally totally fine. Totally, totally fine. That's normal for this time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is yeah, he is a clergyman. Yes, he so is. So yeah. we are we are told that. Yes. And Catherine's father is also a clergyman. I think that's yes. important to note as well. Yes. So actually, I think this is the first clergyman we've met who hasn't been uh possibly a serial killer. Mhm. This is one of two. One of two. One of two clergymen that will we will meet who is not a terrible creepy person. Oh. Yay. Okay, cool. Yep. Not in this book, sorry. The other non no, no, no. is in a different yeah. book, just to be clear. <laughs> so I wonder if something happened between Austin writing this novel and Austin writing Pride and Prejudice and or Emma with like a clergyman where she's just like, 
nope, they're terrible. I hate them. <laughs> I'm going to write them as my villains. <laughs> I don't know. We got to figure when Mansfield Park was published as well into that. Oh, mm-hmm. anyway. So um, after they are done dancing mm-hmm. uh, and Mr. Tilney impresses Mrs. Allen with his knowledge of muslin, uh, I believe they're back. Are they still in the lower rooms when this happens? I can't remember. Yeah, they're in, they're they're the whole time when they're having this conversation on all of that. Um, and and then yeah, well, when Mrs. Allen happens to come across an old school friend of hers. Yes, this is on a different day. Okay, that's what I thought. I could that part's exactly on a different day. So they had gone back. There, they had gone to the pump room. It's a different place. So they were at the mm. lower rooms. That's where Mr. Tilney is, all of that stuff. And then on another day, they go to the pump room. It's the very next day. And Catherine's like, I'm sure Mr. Tilney will be here. I can't wait to see him. And unfortunately, he does not show up. Mm-hmm. But that's where Mrs. Allen meets her friend. Her friend, I believe, is Mrs. Thorpe. Thorpe. Sorry. So Mrs. Allen meets a friend of hers from school, Mrs. Thorpe, mm-hmm. who has three daughters. Um, I believe they're around Catherine's age. They're around her age. She also has three sons as well who are older and they are all very successful. That sounds right, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I apologize. Yes, there's three sons and three daughters. Oh, yeah. And they like go to like Oxford and stuff. William is out at sea. John is at Oxford. Edward is at Merchant Taylors. And they're very respected in all mm-hmm. of their stations. And then she has three beautiful daughters. Um, her oldest is described as the most handsome of the daughters. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Thorpe is going on and on about this. And it does cut to Mrs. Allen, who's like listening. It's basically like, you know, you're listening, but you're not listening because she has mm-hmm. nothing to contribute because Mrs. Allen doesn't have children of her own. Mm-hmm. I think at some point, and I'm not going to lie, I also kind of blacked out during this section. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Thorpe is a widow as well, but she's not a rich widow, but she seems to be pretty, like, good humored, well-meaning. She's a nice, you know, seems to be a nice woman. So She has successful sons who, as they gain success, she's probably, I'm sure, in the back of her mind thinking she'll mm-hmm. be comfortable, you know. Yeah. And now, and and I think what's most important about this meeting between Mrs. Allen and Mrs. Thorpe is that Mrs. Allen finally has a connection in Bath. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in terms of who has more connections in Bath, right now they're tied 1-1, Catherine and Mrs. Allen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And through this connection with Mrs. Thorpe, that's how Catherine meets Miss Moreland, the oldest. Um, her name is Isabella. And Isabella pretty much gravitates toward Catherine right away. Um, and Catherine seems to really like her too. You know, they, mm-hmm. Catherine seems to look up to her. She's four years older. So Catherine, we know is 17. Isabella is about 21-ish. It sounds like if I'm remembering the math right in the book. So she has Isabella. She has like more experience. It seems like with being out and with attending public functions and things like that. She's able to point out certain social cues to Catherine. You know, they're able to like kind of gossip a bit and like compare fashions. And so she's almost kind of like a bit of a role model for Catherine. And then also there is a connection that Catherine has to them that is not just connected to Mrs. Allen. The sisters know Catherine's oldest brother who went to school with one of the Thorpes 
boys. He went to school with one of the Thorpe's boys. He went there on holiday around Christmas and met the whole family. And it sounds like he's pretty popular with those girls, Catherine's oldest Ooh. brother. And so they look at her and they're like, oh, of course you're so-and-so's sister. You look just like him. How could we not? Now that we know, we can see it. And so that is what helps make them become closer because they have a familial connection. Okay, I must have missed that part. But yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, that I I think I need to reread chapter four. (laughs) That's okay. So like it kind of almost sets up um, and this isn't giving anything away. If you haven't read it, you could definitely glean this from the first four chapters. You get this feeling like maybe there could potentially be a romantic connection between Catherine's brother and this Thorpe girl. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like that's the vibe you get. (laughs) Right. And also this friendship that's building is obviously a more important connection for Catherine than her connection with the Mrs. Allen. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this connection here isn't going to start building up that like excitement that we're supposed to feel um, for like a sentimental novel because we're supposed to have our emotions played up and down. And uh, I actually kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Yes. So, So these first four chapters... Um, where do you see areas where like it's supposed to be playing on our emotions? So for me personally, and I don't know if this is how we're supposed to interpret it. I'm just going off of like what I've just learned now about sentimental novels and applying it to Mm -hmm. what I read. I feel a strong feeling at the beginning when Catherine is described, um, when she's described in her younger years, um, as like kind of plain, not that great at things, mm-hmm. you know, because that resonated really strongly with me. It can resonate strongly with everyone. You said it resonated mm-hmm. strongly with you. That really pulled on me. I felt for her then. And then as she blossomed into like this young woman and like she's experiencing new things, you just feel elated and happy for her and you want her to do well. So that was mm-hmm. one of the first places where I really had a strong emotional connection. Okay. I agree. I feel like we're definitely supposed to feel something there. Um, And I definitely see Austin's humor in that area as well. I think another area where we're supposed to kind of feel emotion and kind of have it be emphasized that, hey, this is a space where we're supposed to be feeling emotion, no matter what it is, because I don't think Austin was trying to be like, this is specifically the emotion you're supposed to be feeling, but um, is at that assembly when like, Mrs. Allen is just like, I'm so sorry that you can't dance. You should be dancing. I think it's set up to where we're supposed to feel bad for Catherine. But I think the emotion that Austin was trying to get us to feel is really more of a, oh my God, Mrs. Allen, stop talking. Mm -hmm. Because it's brought up multiple times in the book. But I think it's set up to make us, like if Mrs. Allen weren't there saying this all the time, we are supposed, like if this was a sentimental novel at this area, we're supposed to be feeling like really sad for Catherine because she doesn't make connections and she doesn't have anybody to dance with and we're supposed to be really really sad but because Mrs. Allen keeps being like oh I'm so sorry oh my dress oh this we're just instead we're just like oh my gosh like (laughs) stop woman yeah so yeah exactly I agree with that yeah and then again we're supposed to feel a lot of emotion at Mr. Tilney and I think we're supposed to if this was a sentimental novel we're supposed to feel the swoon of romance and the the elation but instead we're just laughing because he's being so ridiculous and adorable and it's just it's more of a heartwarming than it is a swooning mm-hmm. and I think and this is a little less of a of a 
like a for sure for me. But I think in this last area, we're supposed to, like, if it's a sentimental novel, obviously, we're supposed to be like, oh, yes, we're excited. She's making more connections. She has more opportunities. Go, go, heroine. You know, this is your chance to go from being down to being up because you're now meeting all these new people. But instead, we're just like, oh, cool. She has friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she's really excited to have, like, it seems like a close connection friend because once um, Miss Thorpe drops her off where she's staying, she immediately runs upstairs. She looks out the window to watch her walk down the street and she notices like the cut of her fashion and like the way she walks and she just really admires her. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're excited she has this friend, but like also the way it's written, it's like, oh, we feel that. We feel mm-hmm. that excitement because of how she is looking at her and how she is admiring her, which she doesn't in the beginning chapter she has a close connection with her sister who's the year younger than her. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also described as like not super duper it's not like Lizzie and Jane mm-hmm. where they're like in tears almost when they have to part. It was just like, okay, bye, see ya. Bye. But yeah, like they yeah. They love each other, and that's, like, the coast connection, oh. but not – yeah, it's a little different with Miss Thorpe. I think that might be another place where, like, if it was a sentimental novel, the the her leaving her family would be this big thing, but Austin's just like, yeah, okay, see you later. Well, yeah, and it, it does say that because we get a <laughs> yeah. big paragraph of, now, if this were done correctly, her mother would be warning her about the evils of men and, like, giving mm-hmm. her advice and, like, be – getting to fret about her journey and like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and crying. But none of that happens. Yeah. 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 So I think that, I think that going forward, I think really taking a look at how this is supposed to be a sentimental novel is going to be really interesting and how we see it, because you could totally read this as being like, well, this is really boring. This is really weird. I don't see why, like, why is this written the way that this is? But if you're thinking about it, like this is supposed to be a sentimental novel where your, your emotions are being like manipulated and moved around and like it the what you're supposed to feel is more important than the plot and this is making fun of that then yeah yeah it'll be fun now that that's like on our radar to like Mm -hmm. see how the next section goes because this next section will lead us through more of the sentimental aspect and then when we get to about the halfway point it's gonna change as we said at the beginning so it'll be interesting to see that juxtaposition yeah, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how the novel and the tone of it and everything else changes when we hit that marker where it's going to go from being a parody of a sentimental novel to a parody of a gothic romance. Now, there is a bit of a difference between the two. Obviously, like gothic romances still have that like dramatic emotion behind yes. it, but it's also going to have that like dark and creepy kind of feel to it. That Paranormal makes it energy for sure mm-hmm. yeah yes. yeah now i will say this as a fan of like the og gothic novels like frankenstein dracula stuff like that's not what this is this is no. more of an early gothic which is less of that less early like leanings into like science fiction and stuff like that yeah. this is more of a a feel than it is like actual paranormal actual ghosts actual monsters and creatures and stuff so good a good thing to compare it to if you're looking for an example of real early gothic and like that romance even though technically it isn't early is um jane eyre which we know is a gothic Mm -hmm. romance and has like feelings of paranormal energies in it even Mm -hmm. though Mm -hmm. it's not really paranormal 
you're supposed to get that vibe. So it'll be good to compare it to that. Yeah. So think less we're actually going to see ghosts and more we're just going to feel like there's something weird going on. Yeah, exactly. But it is still supposed to be dark and creepy. So like you're definitely thinking like, oh, I'm going to be like creeping around a haunted mansion, but it's not actually haunted. It's just a dark and dingy house. (laughs) Exactly. Kind of situation. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how the book changes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yay. But I think that's all we have for our first Northanger Abbey episode. Yes. So I believe we're going to just be reading the next four chapters. Yes. So chapters five through eight, if you would like to read along. And yeah, I guess we will just see what happens next. Yay. And we're back to episodes once per week. So look for us next week and we'll see you then. Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBM Podcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBM Podcast.